Let's turn firstly to uh, Genesis chapter 3. As, as many of you are aware, Genesis is, Genesis is a reasonably fraught section of my Bible, so it takes me a little while to find the scripture. Um, Genesis chapter 3, we're in. Extremely well-known story, and, uh, and I'm not going to spend too much time uh, dwelling on it. Um, but we see here that it starts off in Genesis chapter 3 with a conversation between, uh, between a, a serpent who was sort of uh, the, the physical representation of, of the devil in this environment. Uh, and we see that the serpent was, was subtle and, uh, and we see that the serpent um, presented himself as, uh, as, as perhaps a bit of an authority um, to Adam and Eve here. Uh, and uh, we see in verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, um, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we know that the Lord had said, don't eat of it, but he never actually said, don't touch it. So she'd sort of taken that a little step further, as if to say, this God, he's a bit of a meanie. We're not allowed to do anything. You know, like we're, uh, we're not allowed to eat it, we're not allowed to touch it. Not, and the Lord just said, no, don't eat it. That's what he'd said. So she sort of was already on 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 sort of the uh, the path of painting the Lord as the bad guy a little bit. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Um, the first lie. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good is it, good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and, guess what, the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and then they hear the Lord walking around, talking. Now, I'm not exactly sure how all of this actually worked in real life, as far as, you know, the Lord walking amongst the trees of the garden and so on, and the Lord calling Adam, and and Adam says, in verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Number one, you gave me this woman and she gave me the fruit and all I did was just eat a little bit, right? And the Lord God said unto the woman in verse 13, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The serpent that you made beguiled me and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done. Now we know that there's a there's a, a, a prophecy there um, and in verse 15, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we go on to say, as we know, things fell apart then in the relationship between Adam and Eve and, and the Lord. Things, uh, things rapidly degraded and Adam and Eve were no longer able to be in that situation where they were in constant communication with the Lord on a, on a, on an everyday basis. We're going to move on to another story now in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to start reading this one in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 1. So we've got the story of Adam and Eve, right? And the eating and then the, 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 
the conversation that happened between them and the Lord afterwards. So here's another story. First Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 15 verse 1, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass, and speaking of infants and sucklings, perfect timing, thanks Luke. <laughs> but uh, we're going we're gonna to move on. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into lamb, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. Now, we probably should let Luke know that we're not slaying infants and sucklings here today. That was just, just the, what the scripture said. Uh, in verse 5, And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. Uh, and, and we see here that there was a, there was a bit of a battle. And in verse 8, And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, not just Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Now, the Lord gets in touch with Samuel and says, Things are going wrong here. I gave a fairly clear commandment, and that's not what's happened. And uh, and I want you to go and sort Saul out because of what's happened here. And uh, and Samuel, uh, we see here, he goes uh, and and Samuel rose up early the next day. He, he he had a pretty rough night. He was like, Lord, you know, I can't believe this has gone so wrong. Uh, I can't believe this is uh this is you know become such a problem and anyway he gets up early in the morning and he goes to uh goes to see Saul in verse 13 and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him blessed be thou of the Lord I have performed the commandment of the Lord kind of verse 14 and Samuel said what meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear and Saul said they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. We're going to sacrifice it anyway. No biggie. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they, they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, here we go again, he said that before, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, 
he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed thy command, the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid a hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. So Samuel said, I'm not being any part of your stupidity, mate. Like Saul was basically saying, oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but, but stay with me, let's keep up appearances. You know, like let, when we go back to the people, if you're with me, then the people will know that everything's all right. And, uh, and, and Samuel went, I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not being part of this. I'm out of here. And as he went to go, Saul grabbed him and his, and his garment didn't get rented out. It tore. And, uh, and verse 28, and Samuel said unto him, the king, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel, that's, that's the Lord, will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Now we, we went on later that, uh, we go on to see later on that Samuel put his, put his words into actions and he went on in, in verse, uh, uh, and Samuel, uh, Samuel finds Agag and, uh, he says, uh, as the, as thy sword hath made, thy, as hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal, which I'm sure sent a bit of a message to everybody about what they should have done. So, two stories. We started off with Adam and Eve, and now we've come to Saul. And uh, if I was to tell you that perhaps I was going to make a title for this talk, but then there was a UFO sighting out the front of my house, and I had to run out and see, and I forgot to make a title for this talk, you might respond to that in one way or another. Or if I was going to say that I was just about to type the title of my talk and then the dog jumped up and ate my laptop and I couldn't type the title of my talk, you might get to the point where you start saying, excuses, excuses. And that would be the title of the talk. So if you want a title, excuses, excuses. And if we look at both these stories, in the story of Adam and Eve, the very first thing that Adam says is, but, 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 but this woman that you gave me, you gave me, she gave me this stuff, and all, all I, all I did was just a quiet, quiet, nothing. It was, it was everyone else's fault. It wasn't related to, to Adam at all. And as soon as the Lord turned to Eve, Eve was like, but, 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 the serpent. I mean, the serpent. Not the serpent. They didn't have a serpent. The serpent. It was his fault. He, he, he told me, and I, I, I was just doing what I was told. All excuses. And then the same, we see here with Saul, Saul's in this situation where he was given a clear direction from the Lord. This is what you have to do. Wipe them out. Saul would not necessarily have understood the reasons why the Lord said wipe them out, but the Lord had very good reasons. Everything. Don't take any of that nation into your your possession at all. Nothing. Not even the good stuff. Not even the things that you think you want to sacrifice to me don't bring it in. And Saul went, yeah, but, 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 but the people, all, all, I've got Agag and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do something about him, but, but the people, they, they went and got the good stuff and they're gonna give it to you, Lord. It was all excuses. And, the, and, and Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken better than the fat of rams. 
There's two types of excuses and I, and I perhaps want to draw a line between the two types of excuses. There are valid excuses. And, uh, and perhaps if we, uh, if we think about maybe our brother Pastor Pete, you know, he was, uh, giving his mum a lift home and, and as it turned out they'd stopped at a rest, hot, rest stop and, and, uh, and he gets, gets wiped out by a truck. Totally nothing he could do about it. And, uh, and if he was supposed to have perhaps been running a prayer night or something that night, then I think everyone, after he got airlifted in a helicopter to the Liverpool hospital, I think everyone would have said, I think you've got a valid excuse for not running a meeting tonight. Right? So we know there are valid excuses. And, and in, in many cases, you know, in, in business and things like that, they're called mitigating factors or like we give them all sorts of words, but there are valid excuses. There's another type of, type of excuse and it's a poor excuse. Right? There are only two types of excuses, if it's it's valid or it's a poor excuse. Now, I might say that uh, I couldn't make it to work today because my car ran out of petrol. Uh, our car doesn't use petrol. I should say diesel. <laughs> I couldn't make it to work today, my car ran out of diesel. And, and on the surface, that might seem to be a valid excuse. But I've been driving around for two weeks with the arrow below E and the little light on, and every time I turn on the ignition, it does that little bing-bong thing to say, you got no fuel, mate, and I've been ignoring it. So when we actually look into it, is that a valid excuse? And the answer obviously is no, it's a poor excuse. And I guess what, what I want to look at is that sometimes we can allow ourselves to fall into the habit of giving ourselves poor excuses. We can, in our, in our walk in the Lord particularly, we can uh, end up in a situation where we're using poor excuses to kind of make ourselves feel better about where we're heading. We're going to read a couple of stories now in Luke chapter 14. This is a parable and, uh, and it's often sort of tickled my fancy as to whether parables were, were based on actual events. You know, like the, the Lord obviously would have known everything that sort of happened down through history and he, he might have just sort of searched through the his, history books for a little while and gone, oh yeah, that's a nice little story. I'll use that one. We, we know them as parables. They, you know, they just illustrate a point. But I, I quite often am fascinated by the fact that perhaps some of these parables might have actually been real historical events and the Lord was just relating them. Anyway, we see here in, uh, in Luke chapter 14, we're going to start reading in verse 16. Then said he, that's Jesus, unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I need to check that it's still there, that there's been no alien invasions and it hasn't disappeared. I need to go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He didn't even ask to be excused. He just said, I married a wife. No further statements. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly in the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. 
And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now we know that this is a parable about the Lord opening the doors of his kingdom to whoever will to come in. And there are invited guests, many of them. And unfortunately, many of them will put themselves out of the kingdom of God by way of an excuse. I got a, I got a new job. Or I, I bought this piece of land and I need to go and check it. I, I ne- I'm sorry, I need to go and check it. And, and we can see as we look through these excuses, every single one of them is a poor excuse. And the problem with a poor excuse is that it hides the real problem. A poor excuse is what you give yourself or try and give other people when you're actually trying to hide the real problem. And the real problem was these guys just didn't want to go to the feast. And we know there are many people who, who we speak to and, uh, and, and they have poor excuses about why they don't want to turn to the Lord. But evolution. But don't want to be part of a, a church. But the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales. But, but, but there's, there's every poor excuse under the sun for why people don't want to respond to the Lord's invitation to come into what is nothing but a great celebration and a great blessing in his, in his kingdom. And, and there are many people who are like, sorry, I've got to go and paint a barn or something. I don't know how many people paint barns anymore, but, but I'm using sort of similar excuses, things that just aren't important. But as I said, the problem with a poor excuse is that it can actually hide the real problem. Now, we uh, can be in, in a situation where perhaps other people have given us excuses down through time for us to use. And, uh, and, I, and I guess I'm thinking along the lines of, you know, perhaps you might have spoken to someone who was well-meaning at the time and, and they were trying to maybe encourage you or something and they might have said something along the lines of, oh, you've got an addictive personality. And unfortunately, many people in this world have, have been given that excuse and they've gone, I have, I have got an addictive personality, but actually it's hiding the real problem, which is that they're relying on their own strength, which is very small in many cases, and these people might be, might be people who have incredibly low levels of willpower within themselves, but it actually hides the real problem that they're not letting themselves rely on the strength of the Lord. And when we come to the Lord and when we receive the Holy Spirit, we can't use poor excuses like, I've got an addictive personality. Because the Lord's given us a new personality and he's given us his strength. And there, and, and the, the problem that that then hides is, I'm just not walking in the Spirit. If I'm allowing myself to, to give poor excuses for my actions, it's hiding the real problem. And while I'm hiding the real problem, I can't get the problem fixed. If I am to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm weak. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I don't want to go down this path anymore. Then the Lord's able to work with us. Then the Lord's able to say, thank you for admitting you're weak. Here's a story about my servant Paul, who who himself knew that he was weak. 
But in his weakness, that was when he discovered the strength of the Lord. My strength is made perfect in your weakness, the Lord says. So don't let poor excuses, and as I said, there are valid excuses sometimes, and we're not discounting them. There are factors in our lives that affect us in ways that we're not in control of and we can't do anything about apart from pray. I'm not putting those things to one side. Valid excuses are real. That's that's for sure. But we know when we're giving ourselves or others a poor excuse. And most of all, the Lord knows when we're giving ourselves or others a poor excuse. And he says, I can't help you when you're still giving that poor excuse. Come to me when you're when you're ready to be honest about the real problem. And sometimes it's only us who knows the real problem. Sometimes it's only us who's able to look into all of our thinking, and, and we get really good at, at developing excuses. And, and in fact, there's a there's a statement someone once made: "He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else." And I'm sure we all have met people in life. You know, it doesn't matter what happened. You know, if they were if they were playing basketball and they, they missed a shot or whatever, oh, it's because my foot slipped. Or they, they've just got an excuse ready to go straight away. They're really good at making excuses. And unfortunately, that kind of person, you kind of get to the point where you're like, everything I hear from that person is just an excuse. If they maybe just practice a bit more basketball, then maybe they'd be better or something. You know, let, let's deal with the real problem. But you can't deal with the real problem unless someone's ready to admit it. That was Benjamin Franklin, by the way, in case you were looking, so the internets say. I don't, I don't know. I gather, I gather that's probably right. He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Um, as I said, a poor excuse is usually a smokescreen for an unpleasant truth. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. Now, this is pretty much the same story. Parable with a, with a similar kind of uh, a thought behind it, but there's, there's one extra bit in here which I thought I, I might just bring out. Once again in in 22 verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Various excuses. And again he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden, behold I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, he's checking up on his land, another to his merchandise, and obviously another one off to his wife perhaps. Verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Gee, that escalated quickly. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you, you shall find, bid to the marriage, so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? Now, this here is obviously an analogy about about the kingdom of the Lord and and the fact that the, the Lord's Invitation is open to everybody. And there are, there are many who have just outright refused the invitation based on poor excuses, as we've heard, you know, I've married a wife, so on and so forth, all of those things. But there are others who, who perhaps haven't made an excuse, but they have perhaps only partly taken up the offer. They've, uh, they've turned up, 
but they're not actually, they haven't actually sort of subscribed to the conditions of the offer. Now, it was fairly obvious that there was some kind of um, uh, expectation that when you went to a wedding, a, wed- a wedding feast, even even if it was not a feast you you know, even if you weren't originally invited, you still needed to pay respect to the host. You still needed to go out and get your best best cloak on and whatever. And 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 there's a fella in here in this story who he's like, nah, I don't I don't need that wedding garment. I'm just going to turn up. I heard this food. Maybe a bit of booze. I thought I might just turn up and have a bit of fun. And uh, and and the king goes, "Why are you here? You're not. You're not. You haven't subscribed." And we see here that the king, as we know, is the Lord, and he, and he, and and we know this is this is an analogy for for people who would like to sort of welcome themselves or see themselves welcomed into the into the Lord's kingdom, but they haven't actually subscribed to the to the experience of being born again, and they think they don't think they don't need to. They think they can just waltz in. That, that's different from people who know they need to and are seeking for the Holy Spirit. This is that that's good. But we see here there are some people who we who see themselves as being I'm fine, I'm right, just the way I am, and I'll just roll up and I'll uh, I'll just be be there for the good time and then I'll shoot off. Uh, then I can go see my see my land or or milk my cow or whatever it is he wants to do. We see here there's an analogy where the Lord, as the King, comes and confronts this person and says, "What are you doing here?" And there's no excuses. We see here, he was speechless. And we are, we are heading for a situation where people will be standing before the Lord and the Lord will be saying, what have you got? Who are you? Why are you here trying to enter my kingdom? And there won't be any answers. Poor excuses won't cut it when we're standing before the Lord. It's also interesting. Uh, I've got in my in the side of my Bible, no speech. Like speechless means no no speech, obviously, but also no new speech. You know, no new tongue, no no new ability to speak. But that's the, that's the way people are going to find themselves if they stand before the Lord, not having sought for His Holy Spirit and the experience of uh, being baptized of water and, and of the Spirit. Um, Jesus obviously made that very clear in John chapter three. You must be born of water and the Spirit to see or enter the kingdom of God very clearly. So it's the same story, different ending. Uh, in Romans chapter 3 verse 9, I'll just read it uh, just for time because we're, we're quickly, quickly running out. Romans chapter 3 verse 19, Now we know that think that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Every mouth may be stopped. There's not going to be any poor excuses on Judgment Day. Romans chapter 1. Let's go there. As I said, in, in many cases, um, we are the only ones, together with the Lord obviously, we are the only ones who know whether our excuses are poor excuses or valid excuses. Uh, and we see here, oh, actually there's heaps here that I want to read, but I really just don't have time. But we might just read in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen or perceived or understood being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Now, 
old English words there, but basically what it means is for anyone who's paying attention, whether it be to creation or whether it be to prophecy, whether it be to history, whether it be to the relationship of other human beings with God and their testimonies, whatever it is, for anyone who's paying attention, there is abundant evidence of the glory of God. And and we know that the invisible things of God, the glory of God, is obvious to us and it's understood by us because we only have to look at the night sky or we only have to look at the incredible intricacy of the creation that we're surrounded with and we know that we're without excuse. We know that we're all going to stand before the Lord and we better better not have poor excuses on that day because we're going to be speechless before the Lord. Now, there is heaps more that I wanted to read in Romans chapter 1 and even Romans chapter 2. Um, it talks about here in, uh, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that, that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest, doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth, against them which commit such things. It's talking about all of the natural things of the world. Um, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Now, once again, lots of old English words. What it's basically saying we don't, we're not in a position where we can stand around and look at the way someone else is going in the Lord and go, that's a poor excuse. Mate, you should be doing way better. The Lord says, that's between me and that person. And obviously we have structures which are given to us by the Bible where, you know, we're able to encourage each other in a fellowship. That's why we come together in fellowship. We're able to encourage each other. We're able to, uh, able to build each other up. And sometimes there might be some correction needed and the Lord's put structures in place for that as well, but it's not up to us to be looking at someone else's walk and judging them according to our excuses or according to our perception of their excuses, if you like. Gee, they're dropping like flies. Um, uh, 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 must have said something. Um, anyway, um, but we'll see here in uh, verse 7, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, Eternal life. Now, Paul writes in some long sentences sometimes, but what he's saying is when we have patient continuance, then we'll end up with eternal life, if that's how we continue. And sometimes patient continuance can can include the way we deal with each other. You know, sometimes there's times we'll go, Lord, okay, this one's yours and I'll leave it to you. Um, I just want to skip back one back one to the end of verse 4 where it says, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. This gets back to that original thought I was uh, driving at, that poor excuses hide the real problem. And it's the goodness of God that allows us to find the real problem or admit the real problem and turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I repent of this and Lord, I want to follow you and Lord, I want to go your way and Lord, I want to do things your way and then the goodness of God restores us. But that can't happen if we're still saying, oh, my foot slipped when I went to take the shot at basketball, right? Or, or, or whatever, whatever today's excuse is, UFOs, dogs eating laptops, or any of those things. If we're, if we're, if we're relying on poor excuses to prop ourselves up, then the Lord's like, 
When you're ready to deal with the real problem, come to me. But until then, put your poor excuses to one side. Uh, so the excuse can cloud the real issue. Being honest about the unpleasant truth can help us deal with the unpleasant truth and therefore we may find great refreshing in the honest truth. Sometimes we might have ended up in a habit or we've got into a habit where we're making excuses for various things. Sometimes it can actually be really really refreshing to just stop and go, it's, it's, an all, it's all an excuse. I don't want to make those excuses anymore. I just want to walk with the Lord in his spirit. And that's when the Lord's right. Now we can walk. And what a refreshing difference that can make in our lives. Now, there is a final twist to this story. Romans chapter 8. While we're in Romans. Romans chapter 33. Oh, sorry, Romans chapter 8. You won't find a Romans chapter 33. Romans chapter 8. And in verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. If we're approaching the Lord honestly, then we've got someone, that, that, that statement there, who makes intercession for us, we've got someone who's willing to represent us on our behalf to the Lord. This is where the valid excuses come in. This is where Jesus Christ stands on our behalf for us and says, Lord, Father, God, this is one of mine. He has your Holy Spirit. He has been obedient to your ways and he has now, through that obedience, my blessing. And that covers all the excuses. We could read also in, uh, don't turn to it, like I said for, for time, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 where it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. We have somebody who's willing to stand on our behalf. In uh, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 uh, it says, uh, sorry, it starts in verse 24. But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The purpose of the risen Jesus Christ is to stand up on our behalf in front of God. That's incredible. We have Jesus Christ effectively as our advocate as our advocate and he says i know what it's like to 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 live a natural life i've been there i've done that and this person has made their obedience towards you has made their intention towards you in obedience and i've blessed them with the holy spirit now they're one of us what an incredible excuse that is that is being excused of ourselves. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, we're going to read in uh, verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the truth. Jesus Christ doesn't live in buildings anymore. 
Jesus Christ doesn't live in a local church or he doesn't live up on a, on a crucifix or any of that. That's not where Jesus Christ lives. Jesus Christ lives in the eternities, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Why? For us. The function of Jesus Christ's resurrection and glorification is not only to make the way for us to do the same thing and to be glorified with him like as he was, but his purpose now is to appear in the presence of God for us if we've been obedient to his ways. Now, if we want to hold excuses between us and the Lord, then Jesus Christ steps back and says, you're on your own. Sorry. If you've got your excuses, if, and if your excuses are what, what's putting space between you and your God, I can't help you. But if we're willing to be obedient, if we're willing to be honest to the Lord, if we're willing to say, Lord, I want to be one of yours, I want to follow your ways, I need your Holy Spirit's strength in my weakness. If we're one of those people, then Jesus Christ stands on the right hand of God and says, this is one of mine. This one is one of mine. Let's examine the real reasons behind our weaknesses and failures and turn to the Lord with an open and honest heart, knowing that whatever the real cause, he is willing to help us overcome. The Lord wants us to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, we can read. But he can only help us if we're willing to be honest and open to him about where we really stand. Now, excuses can ruin all kinds of parts of our lives. But ultimately, the excuses that really matter are the ones we give ourselves spiritually and the ones other people perhaps have even given us over time. And we might have had well-meaning parents or loved ones who've given us lots of excuses. Oh, you know, you, you had a hard upbringing or we didn't give you enough lollies when you were a child or whatever. Like, there's, there's lots of reasons that, that people could have given us over time about why we're, why we're in the state we're in. And some of those we can take on ourselves and go, yeah, this is, this is my shield for that situation because this is my, you know, that's my excuse, that's my excuse. The Lord says, put the excuses to one side. Let's be honest with each other. There is great refreshing in being honest with each other. There is great ability for healing because it opens the door to repentance and repentance, as we've talked about before, repentance is step one of being restored to the Lord, being redeemed by the Lord. And we know that when we're open about the real cause, the Lord's willing to help us overcome. We see here, that he's uh, now to appear in the presence of God for us and all the people said. So.